ACR Bulletin Podcast, the show where we examine the latest trends affecting radiology. I'm your host, Chris Hobson, and today we'll be talking with Summer Kaplan, MD, MS. Dr. Kaplan is Director of the Section of Emergency Radiology's Division of Body Imaging and is also the Director of Point of Care Ultrasound at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, or as it's more commonly known, CHOP. In addition, she serves as Assistant Professor of Clinical Radiology at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Kaplan, it's a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the invitation. Um, I'm really happy to speak with you today and your audience. Uh, so I'll be talking about some of the things we've done here at CHOP. Just a disclaimer, these are not necessarily the views of my employer, um, although I will be discussing the program that we run here at CHOP. Absolutely. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with us today. Um, well, and today, you know, we're really going to be discussing how cost estimation tools uh, can help facilitate price transparency for radiology patients, first and foremost. Uh, but before we get into your personal experience, because I know you do have a, a substantial amount of experience with this uh, in your day-to-day -day work, um, can you please tell us a little, uh, I guess, give us a better understanding of first what transparency, price transparency is, and second, why it's currently such an issue in radiology? Sure, so price transparency is kind of the novel idea that we should know what the cost of a service is before we contract for it. And um, so that's kind of common, commonly expected pretty much everywhere in our lives outside of medicine. But in the healthcare system, it's, it's uh, really challenging to know what the price of a service is gonna be in advance. So price transparency is the idea that the prices in healthcare should be available, should be accurate, um, so that patients can make more informed decisions. Um, and this is especially true that in radiology, we need to pay attention to price transparency. There are legal reasons, there are legislation is being passed and has been passed to make sure that patients are as informed as possible when they're making their healthcare decisions. Um, so as a, as a field, all of medicine is paying attention to this. But particularly for us in radiology, we, um, you know, we're, we're a, a higher price service, so there's some pressure from payers to for people to shop around for our services. So prices are out there. So it's important for us to pay attention and make sure that they're they're accurate. Um, and another thing that's maybe a little bit unique to radiology is that we we don't tend to have long-term patient relationships. So we really rely on our referrals and on um, you know people's choice of, of where to go. So um, making sure people make those choices based on accurate information, uh, which can be hard to find in pricing, in value, it's, it's, it's really difficult out there for patients to find good information. Yeah, and, and speaking of the, the patient's choice, we'll get into that in a, a little bit further on in, in, the, in our discussion. But before we get too far, um, you know, I can imagine some listeners already are thinking about, you know, wait a second, I, I know what a hospital charge master is, you know, it's a hospital price list that, you know, is usually now even more so than before widely available and, and that seems transparent. And, you know, they, they've been widely available since 2019. So why can't I just go to that list figure out what the price of an imaging procedure is, say, uh, you know, in my local, wherever I, wherever I usually, you know, consume healthcare. And why can't I just get an accurate idea of that? You know, I guess, and I, I the second part of that is taking into account how insurance plays into all this. Why can't people simply, you know, find out the cost of a given procedure by, again, looking at that hospital, hospital charge master price list? Yeah, so the, the, the legislation that made charge masters publicly available in 2019 sort of had the goal of price transparency, 
but I don't know if you've ever looked at a charge master. Um, it's basically a shopping list for a hospital of many, many different items. And there's honestly no way for a person shopping around for healthcare to know what service they need exactly. Um, you may think you know, but you know, do you need a CT head with temporal bones? Do you need uh, IV contrast? Is there separate charges for the syringes, for the contrast material? There's, there's the charge masters are really itemized. And so I think it's difficult for patients to even know what to look for in the charge master. That's one issue. Um, another issue is that the, the charge masters are really a, a price list the hospital generates kind of as a starting point for discussion of an end price. So they're rarely the price that anybody's actually gonna pay. Um, the only people who end up sometimes paying those prices are unfortunately the uninsured. <laughs> Um, and they're, they're, they're not really the, the price that um, is commonly paid by people with insurance. So uh, the price, the price uh, list, the charge master, is kind of a starting point for discussion uh, with insurers who are, are ultimately going to be paying these bills for the most part. So you may see a price on the, the charge master, but the price that your insurance has contracted might actually be very different than that listed price. And those, those contracted prices that insurers um, you know, manage or achieve are proprietary and are not publicly available. So you really don't know what your insurance would actually be charged for any of these services on the charge master. And the other big part of this puzzle is that a lot of us don't actually care what our insurance is paying. We care what we're paying. Right, it's a good point. So it, uh, it depends on your individual insurance plan and um, you know where you are in your benefits year. So uh, this has become more and more of an issue as people are choosing these high deductible health insurance plans where the deductible annually might be $5,000 or even more. And so these plans are meant to encourage people to be responsible and shop around for healthcare. Uh, but in reality, it's, it's just so challenging to shop for healthcare that the ultimate result of, of these high deductible plans has often been that people just don't get care. So right. having accurate prices available um, that people will pay themselves is an important part of helping people get the care that they need. Right. And, and I, you know, I think the context you're, you're portraying there is uh, like a, you know, somebody who has the, the leisure to even do that. I mean, a lot of these are just emergent situations where they're just going to go to the first place they can find to get care. So uh, just it's important to probably contextualize that, but yeah, I, I don't absolutely. want to put words in your mouth. Is that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So that's, it's a difficult situation for a, a patient or in our case, since we're a children's hospital really it's the families who are making the decision for the patients. Um, Right, there's a lack of information about pricing. There's really no way for people to understand the quality of the care that they're purchasing. So people use price kind of as a proxy for quality and it's really not a good proxy for quality. Mm -hmm. um, people are making these decisions at a very stressful time in their life. So there's Definitely. the time issue, right? It takes a long time to shop mm -hmm. around to make all these phone calls to understand your insurance package and, and all that. Um, and if you're sick, who has the mental energy or, to do that? 
Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. You talked a little bit already about the deductibles and, and, you know, uh, you know, kind of planning uh, your time around when you actually get care. And that's something we'll touch on in a, in a few minutes, but if we could just stay on the topic of barriers to price transparency for another minute, um, some people in our audience might be familiar with the term financial toxicity, uh, which broadly kind of describes the devastating effects medical bills can have on a patient's well-being, and, you know, which may out, in some instances, even outweigh the benefits of receiving medical care at all for some people. So can you please say a little bit about uh, how a lack of price transparency can lead to financial toxicity in some situations? Sure, yeah, financial toxicity is a really important concept that has become, um, I think, more, more widely recognized in, in recent years, especially as people are bearing more of their costs themselves. And so it's exactly as you said, it's the idea that we provide medical service to make people healthier, keep them healthy, um, but there can be a financial fallout to the cost of those services. And there's you know a lot of information about how poverty and financial stress affects people's mental and physical health. So there's actually a real downside, both financially and medically, to kind of disregarding the financial implications of, of care that patients and families are going to bear. Um, so that's that's kind of the idea of financial toxicity is that um, you know healthcare can have this dark side of creating additional stress that leads to to problems. Um, and so uh, price transparency is one of the ways to uh, alleviate that as much as possible. So surprise bills are a source of major stress for people when they think they've finished paying for their care and then another huge bill arrives or bills that are too high. Um, that puts a lot of stress on family budgets and um, can choose, make can cause them to make choices between paying their medical bills and paying, you know, for medicine or paying for other other things. Um, so that's uh, that's where price transparency can help people understand what's coming and kind of plan in advance for when they want their services. Well, you know, let's uh, now let's turn to a solution that some institutions across the country, including your hospital CHOP, uh, have taken up to help patients better plan, as you just mentioned, for their procedures from a financial perspective ahead of time. So please tell us the, about the role that benefit specialists play in your practice. Sure. So benefit specialists are really a part of most practices that bill, which is pretty much all of us. So the benefit specialists help integrate the, the billing and the insurance, and they also um, answer patient and family questions if there's any confusion on a bill or if a bill um, is not being paid, they, um, they would be sort of the interface with the, the patient or the family to help them understand the bill. So that's a specific expertise that the practices generally do have already, um, and they, they sometimes are patient-facing, but it typically, and typically uh, it's not a, a, in a great situation. Usually it's like after the fact, after service has been rendered and a bill is, you know, can't be paid or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so often, uh, you know, I don't want to get in the weeds on this, but so so often now they're like you said, mentioned earlier, surprise billing where they didn't even, maybe a patient didn't even realize they were out of network. It could be at the same hospital, same hospital system, assuming that everything is covered when it's not. So, but that's a whole, we actually did a, a, a price trans, a, a separate price transparency uh, podcast not too long ago uh, where we touched on that. Maybe we'll link to it in the show notes, but yeah, thank you for, for that uh, very succinct explanation. That's that's really helpful. Um, so what does it look like in, so I'm interested in what that looks like in practice, because I think most people, even when they go to get care, they don't 
they don't see that part of it. They don't see the, you know, like you said, if they see it at all, it's maybe on the back end, the, fi- the benefits management kind of part of it. So what does it look like in your practice in, in real life to move benefit specialists to the front lines? And, you know, I'm not even sure, does it, does the workflow differ uh, in a significant way? And, and maybe uh, does the patient see that? Or if you could just paint a picture. Yeah, sure. It, it differs a little bit. So we've, we've put these benefit specialists um, on the, on the front lines where they're, they're involved before care is rendered and they help to explain to patients and families what their bill, what they can expect their bills to look like. So um, it's a, uh, you know, it's a change in the workflow for the benefit specialists, but also for the families who are coming for care, patients who are coming for care. Um, and so there's a couple of ways that we, that we contact patients or they contact us. One would be sort of proactively, our benefit specialists may be reaching out to families in advance if they schedule an exam, especially if it's an exam that has, um, you know, that may have a high price on the charge master that might scare people. Um, or if there's a lot of variability between insurance coverages, we might reach out to them proactively and ask them if they'd like a cost estimate, which for the most part they, they do, and they're really happy to have that contact. Um, the other way people can find the cost specialists is to um, contact them through the electronic medical record. Mm-hmm. If they're already patients in our system, they can contact them that way. And aside from that, anybody can contact them through our public facing website. So there's a uh, link for the cost estimation department. People could request a, an estimate. And the thing that's nice about these estimates is that it's personalized for that individual's exam that's going to be performed or office visit, because this is a hospital-wide system. It's not just for radiology. Um, so for the service, it's going to be rendered. Uh, and it takes into account their insurance and can even take into account where they are in their benefits year, how much of their deductible is left. And so our specialists can help people um, sort of work, work with that and any limitations they might have in terms of their personal finances, as far as planning services, um, planning payment schedules if needed, um, to, to put that all up front and make it, as you said, transparent. It should be a transparent process so people aren't surprised by their bills. Well, and I'm wondering, like, uh, I, I suppose most specialties or primary care doctors could probably employ the same approach, but what, what, what is it about radiology that makes it well positioned to employ this type of approach? Um, well, I think radiology is a little bit unique in healthcare services in that our, our costs don't, our, our prices don't vary that much. Uh-huh. So um, people are generally coming in for an exam and there's not a lot of variability when you come in for a a CT or an X-ray, you'll get that service and there aren't a lot of add-ons, which is a little bit simpler of a model than compared to uh, an outpatient visit where the billing may vary depending on the services rendered, tests ordered, um, things like that. So that puts radiology in a position to be a good kind of test subject for this, this system and how well does it work, how accurate are we in our estimates and how much does it help patients. Well, that's so interesting. And that, that actually makes total sense. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that, 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 thank you for clarifying that. Um, well, I have also read that, you know, you believe that moving benefit specialists to the front lines has helped your practice acquire market share there in the Philadelphia market. And I guess I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. And also relatedly, um, your practice has also seen revenue losses for exams decrease by threefold uh, in the first year of service. Um, so, you know, all, all the way up to sevenfold in recent years, and you may even have more recent data than that, I'm not sure, but um, so please give our audience an idea 
um, you know, basically a, how, how you feel that you've gained market share and B how moving those benefit uh, specialists to the front lines, um, has, has helped you actually, uh, in, uh, enhance the bottom line. Sure. I mean, so as you mentioned, we're in a, a market in Philadelphia where patients have a lot of options for their imaging care or for their care in general. And so providing cost estimates is an additional service that we offer. So that can attract patients to our, to our practice um, because they're able to know in advance what their, what their costs are and that it, other, other places in the area may have that as well. And if not, they may be developing it. Um, but it's, it's something that, you know, is, is a service we provide that, that is of value to patients. Um, so that potentially would increase our market share. I don't think we've actually been tracking its effect on market share, but eventually it could be. But what we have looked at is um, the revenue losses, how it's affected, um, you know, people who, people who come for service and then aren't able to pay their bill or able to pay it in full. And in some cases, we end up writing that off as a, as a loss. Mm. And so that's, that's what we've actually seen um, change with the, with the cost estimation service is that there are fewer people who are not able to pay their bill because they're, they know in advance what to expect. So that's been um, great as far as decreasing our, our losses. That's so interesting. Yeah, I don't know if you if you have but looked into this either, but do you guys see, you know, even anecdotally, is it word of mouth or is it really people just, you know, stumbling on this service or uh, because they're they're probably fairly highly, you know, educated uh, and, and, you know, looking and, and really trying to plan out the best way forward for their own healthcare or what, is it a mix maybe or? It's a mix, yeah. So mm. some people, um, you know, some people re reach out to them proactively with phone calls to make mm. sure that they understand what, um, you know, what the cost would be. Uh, there's a tool that people can use in the electronic medical record. And so I think a lot of times it, that, that request happens at scheduling or as people are looking into scheduling services. Well, I, th I, I feel like maybe some people in our audience right now, um, they feel like maybe this, although they think it's very patient-centered and, and also good for the bottom line, they might be getting the, the, the idea that it's a heavy lift, that like just structurally, it might just uh, be a lot to ask and, and a lot of you know workflow changes and things like that. So what would you say to people who might, might feel like a little resistance from that front? I mean, I think like any new initiative, it takes some organization, some you know higher level organization to make it happen. But the impact on the practice, the expense to the practice to setting it up is really minimal because yeah. we're taking employees we already have in the benefits specialist pool and just moving them to a different place in the patient encounter. So it doesn't actually even require additional hiring. We have now hired more people because, because it's become such a um, growing service, mm. but the initial setup didn't, didn't really require much in terms of cost to, to set up. Um, Did, so it's, yeah, it's been a win-win, win-win, win-win <laughs> so far. Six wins. Wow. That's six a lot. Wins. Everybody wins. Seven-fold uh, increase in <laughs> revenue. So that's good. No. Um, but I guess, did you, maybe even anecdotally, did you, did you uh, encounter any resistance or was this like a light bulb went off and everyone just kind of got it right off the bat? And I think that um, it's, it's a new and an innovative service. So I don't think there were simultaneous light bulbs. Hopefully there were many light bulbs, but I don't think everybody embraced it um, right at first because um, change is always hard, mm -hmm. but there are so many upsides to it. 
um, including some of the ones you know that we've discussed here. And so um, I think that there are a few downsides. And with the additional kind of pressure on medical providers to to increase their price transparency, uh, I think it's it's a great service for patients, which is ultimately what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I think it's just a service that needs to grow. So, so there's there hasn't really been any um, real downfalls or, or resistance, large scale resistance to changing the practice. That's interesting because that that always feels like the first hurdle is just convincing people that it's a good idea. So that's good that that it sounds like by and large people got it. So that's great. So I guess if we zoom in, you mentioned patient centered care. If you if we could zoom in on patients for a minute uh, who are maybe even on a fixed income, how does your unique approach help them in particular? It's especially helpful for people who are on a fixed income because it allows them to budget for their healthcare. Uh, expenses and that would include things like making a payment plan if if it's going to be more than they can pay at once or scheduling services to coincide with maybe the end of a benefits year when they've mm -hmm. used their deductible and so they can they can come get services that might be more expensive once their deductibles already been spent um, and you know thinking about our patients who are kids uh, the families are often budgeting around other predictable expenses mm. like, you know, sports or clubs or school events. So, so for families who are on a fixed budget, it, it you know, it can help them schedule around known costs that they might have. It's very interesting. Uh, Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, we've talked so much about the past and the present, but what do you think of the future of the, the cost estimation program? Now, how do you see it involve, evolving over the next, say, five to 10 years, if you, if you thought that far ahead? Sure. I mean, the goal is always to grow the service. It's been really successful and um, has been really appreciated by our patients and families. So growing the service, meaning providing estimates for more and more of our services. We're constantly adding new services that we can um, provide estimates for, mm -hmm. making sure that the estimates are as accurate as possible. We never want to um, you know, provide this service and then surprise people with bills on top of that. Right. Um, and I will say that the other thing this service provides and has, has helped with is really establishing communication with patients and families. So it gives them a point of contact with billing and, and it lets them know that we actually do recognize this is something that's important to families and important to their health. So keeping those lines of communication open, um, making sure our, our estimates are accurate, um, automating it, making it as, as fast and easy as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really where we'd like to go in the future. That's really interesting. Well, I, and I should say that you all have um, written about this quite extensively. You've co-authored a, a paper about your experience it was featured in the JACR, which we'll link to in the show notes. And you've also authored a blog post about this subject for the, for the ACR. Again, we'll link that to that in the show notes and we'll probably come to you in the future and, and get an update and hopefully you'll write again for us. But, um, and, and, you know, I would just really like to thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, if people want to continue this really important discussion online, is there a really good place for them to, to contact you? Sure. I'm on Twitter. It's at SL Kaplan MD. Okay. Yeah. And we'll, we'll include that as a graphic uh, below you. So as we talk, so hopefully people will reach out and for our viewers, if you have any ideas for future show topics, we're always looking for new topics. So please let us know on Twitter uh, at radiology ACR, and please do use the hashtag hashtag 
ACR Bulletin Podcast. Um, I also invite you to check out all of our past episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and please be sure to subscribe to ACR's YouTube channel uh, to see all our latest episodes. But thank you so much again, Dr. Kaplan. It's been a real pleasure. And I, I actually learned a lot today. I, I think our audience did too. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Chris. And thanks to the ACR for keeping this uh, podcast running. I, I, listen, I listen to the old episodes too, and they're they're really great. Oh, it's great. great content that people don't really get in, in medical school or in residency. So, so thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. And thank you so much to our listeners. This has been the ACR Bulletin Podcast. See you next time. <laughs>